Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. Hebrews 9 says, show, it does, Hebrews 9 shows how worship in the Old Testament could not perfect the worshiper because it related only to food and drink, various washings and regulations for the body. However, when Christ appeared, he entered into the heavenly tabernacle and poured his own blood on the mercy seat. The blood of bulls and goats was never able to cleanse the conscience of the worshiper, but the blood of Jesus is able to save completely as it cleanses us thoroughly and we are now without blemish or accusation before God. Christ appeared at the consummation, at the consummation of the ages to put away sin by his sacrifice. Now, some of you may be going, what in the world did you just read? I'm going to break it down in a simple manner. We're going to review for a moment because I know there's some new people here. I want to catch us up. But today we're going to be talking about the blood of Jesus out of this chapter. Now, if you will, stand to your feet, grab your Bibles. Let's go ahead and read it together together if you will let's just stand and do it one more time this is what we call church aerobics Hebrews chapter 11 actually Hebrews chapter 9 verse 11 in the New King James it says but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation not with the blood of goats and calves but with the his own blood he entered the most holy place once and for all having obtained eternal redemption for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh how much more shall the blood of jesus who through the eternal spirit notice that phrase the blood of jesus who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to god cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living god and for this reason he is a mediator of the new covenant by means of death for redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant those who are called away may receive the promise of eternal inheritance this is such a deep subject are you ready for it today one more time give God thanksgiving ahead of time and a clap of praise and tell them thank you for the word today turn to your neighbor and tell them get ready we're fixing to get into it you may be seated God bless you it is truly a desire and delight to see everyone here, everyone coming back, and everyone getting involved. But this is a great desire that we've got. A, a, we call it a privilege to be able to share the Word and teach it to you and show you. Now, to catch us up to understand where we're at in this semester, with this chapter, we're going in deeper to talk about the blood. Prior to this, we've been from chapter 1 all the way up to this moment. We've gone through the tabernacle 
of the old system that was in place, the old system that was there under an old covenant. And now we're hearing about the new transition happening for the Hebrew people. Under a new covenant, God made both Jew and Gentile one people. How many of you understand that? God made one new person because of the blood under a new covenant. And now the writer of Hebrews, who most scholars believe it was the Apostle Paul, begins to write the thoughts and convey the message of the old system, the old tabernacle, the old form of worship, and how it plays a role in their life and how Christ fulfilled all of those things from the sacrifice all the way to the holy of holies Jesus fulfilled all things, and we went through that. But now we need to talk about the blood, the significance of the blood. And when the writer begins to tell them that there's no need for you, and, I, and I'm going to paraphrase this, but, but you can read it, to make uh, sacrifices like you used to. And he goes through and talks about, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, if that was good enough in the eyes of God to sanctify your flesh, you see, that was limited. God could pardon your sins, and he can do it from a perspective of being an outward perspective from, from your actions. But he couldn't go internally and sanctify and cleanse and renew your conscience. That's what the big difference was. But you look a little bit deeper and, and we look and dissect it and we go granularly into this concept of what they were under. They had to bring it every year. There had to be a sacrifice that they brought in to represent their family. So if you can just imagine, if you can just for one moment imagine you being a family of the tribe of Israel, one of the tribes, and you came in. And every year you had to bring that perfect sacrifice without spot, without blemish. You had to bring that lamb in. You had to bring the goat, the heifer. Whatever it was that represented your sins, you had to raise it right. To the full details of what it all entailed was a big burden to Israel. I don't know if any of you have ever been involved with raising cattle, uh, being involved with 4-H. Uh, any of you, I know my wife, my wife was, when I met my wife, she was country. And she raised pigs and she rode horses and she loved that. She's a country girl at heart. I have family that they raise sheep and they put them in the livestock shows and and I didn't realize how much work went in, was involved with that. The first thing that has to be considered when you're looking at this is you got to find the proper bloodline. And you just can't take any animal and take care of it because it was a lot of work. So the only example I think I could really convey and as a teacher and as a pastor to, to you to help you understand what this was like I did a little research, and I found out what was the highest price, uh, price sheep that was sold in, two, in, in 2020. And I found this. This is the Texel 
ram lamb. This ram was entered in to the show, the livestock show, and was sold and auctioned in Scotland. It was sold for $490,000. Some of you are saying that is an expensive pork chop, right, or lamb or barbecue, right? Now, I don't think the intent to buy this was to cook it. That's a waste of money. But that figure, 490000 comprised of three investors. And the intent they had with this animal was, once they purchased the animal, they would go and breed it so they can produce livestock from a good bloodline. And then they would try to make profit. So those that initially invested into this would now make a good profit. But a lot of work went into this, and the owner of this ram sheep, ram lamb, was, was actually uh, the lady who you see right there, went through a tremendous amount of work. Again, the hard part, again, don't forget, was finding the right animal first. When you find the right animal, then you can invest your time. And what does that entail? That entails, we're talking about like watching a baby caring for a family member that cannot care for themselves, essentially. And you have to find the right time to work with your schedule to feed it the right food. Because remember, a lot of what's on the outside is really an indication of what happens on the inside. And so you have to be able to feed it the proper food. I mean, it wasn't like, okay, we got this much. Just give the rest of the barbacoa to the dog. I mean, everything, the lamb okay. And the tortillas too. They love tortillas. You don't take your leftovers on the table and just give it to something precious. You have to find good grass for them to graze. You have to go out and find it and get all the thorns and the thistles and the poisonous weeds. And there's a process with this. And this in particular, this ram, uh, ram lamb was actually raised with a special diet, eating only three times a day, had to at minimum being watered and drink from water, good water, twice a day at minimum. And then the article that I read about this said that it was exercise, exercise, exercise. They had to go and walk it. They had to make sure it was able to have an active life. And then after that, there's the responsibility of simply protecting it, protecting your investment, making sure that it didn't get sick, making sure that it was protected from predators, making sure that it, was, it doesn't go off in a terrain or doesn't wander off. There's that burden that's there. And through this, you can kind of understand what it was like for the Hebrews to raise a per perfect sacrifice because that if it was pleasing to God, they would receive a blessing. So we're talking about your soul. We're talking about your standing with God now. Can you imagine the burden? And I think that to help essentially to really grasp this, when he tells the Hebrews that Jesus has become that sacrifice, Jesus has become that one thing that you don't have to do anymore. Can you imagine 
the thought process that went through the Hebrew's mind. Like, thank God, right? I get tired of raising those animals. They had to adopt that mentality that Jesus was enough. And if you look at the life of Christ and you begin to figure out, you know, um, now I know, now I understand, now I get it. Because when Jesus entered into this world, the scripture says that he went through some temptations, he went through some trying, but he was never overcome with it and he had never sinned. And when Jesus, you talk about finding the right breed. I mean, Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit, overshadowing Mary, who was a virgin. And she was born, so he wasn't born out of sin. He was born from a pureness. And when he walked in this world, we saw the attributes that was in him. It wasn't his mother's blood. It was his father's blood that gave him distinction in this world and the attributes that he had as going into a crowd of sick people and, and healing people and then delivering people and the authority that he carried. He was from a different breed. He was just different. But everything that he went through, he went through for a reason because after he was born, and after he had died, and after he had been buried, and after he had been resurrected, he ascended up on high with the intent to give birth to more just like him. And God, the eternal God, the eternal spirit, the Father put all of his investment in Christ. The Father put everything into his Son. And he put everything in there knowing that he would have to produce, that it would produce, that there would be many the scripture says it that Jesus was the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Everything he went through, the hard part was done. Point number two, and we're going to start getting into it, is, no, I'm so sorry, that was point number one. Point number one is the hard part is done. Now the heart part is up to you. The hard part is done. Now the heart part is up to you. When you look at this, now we get it. That's what he was trying to tell the Hebrews. The price has been paid, but for them to accept it by faith, so them, for them to first believe it, and that's the biggest challenge in Christianity. That's what distinguishes us than any other religion around the world is that our faith, we put in a God who's not dead, but he's alive. And because he's alive, there is a response. There is a reaction. There is something that happens. How many of you here already this morning when you were worshiping, you felt something around you, on you, and inside of you? Raise your hands. If you felt something here, well, that's because your God is alive. And that's because everything he went through was for your benefit. And this is what makes everything different. If you consider the old covenant and the old thought process, they had to worship God, but it was only in an outer perspective. It was only on the perimeters of the body and possibly the soul through thought and impressions and things. The anointing and the spirit was there. The anointing actually rested on certain people and in influenced them, but that third dimension of the Spirit was only in reservation for a new dispensation of grace. 
You do the study. Check it out. The dispensation of the law was still limited. And I think we get a glimpse of this from David, who was known as both king and priest. And David yearned for God. David worshiped God. David's worship to God, realist, uh, the, religiously, it was on point. David's worship to God was there. I mean, if anyone had the right animals, it was the king. If anyone could afford to give offering after offering after offering, it was a king. So David had the right stuff, but David still needed the right heart. In the eyes of God, he was a man after God's own heart. It didn't say he had the heart of God. The scripture says that he was after God. He wanted more of God. But can you imagine having that proverbial carrot in front of you, your entire life chasing after it, never able to obtain it? I mean, it's so close, but yet so far. This is why David wrote, if you look at this a little bit closer, Psalms 51 and 9 and 11 this helps us understand what the Hebrews were experiencing and what the writer was trying to convey. David wrote and said, don't keep looking at my sins. In other words, in the King James, it says, my sin is ever before me. But what he's saying to God in a different translation, is he says, you know, don't keep, you look at me. Uh, I know you can see my sin because that's all I see. It's like saying I can't see the forest for the sake of the tree that's in front of me right? You can have that one problem, that one feeling that's so close, but it blocks everything else in your life. And David was limited by what he saw and because of what he felt. He said, my sin is ever before me. Remove the stain, listen to this, of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit. Spirit within me, he's trying to tell us something, and he's singing about it in a psalm to God and saying that, you know, I still have this problem in my life, and I don't know how to get rid of it. Would you please renew me? Give me something new. I keep falling short. I keep falling into the same problem, the same thoughts, because I can't get it out of my mind. But don't banish from me, and don't take your presence from me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. This is a very strong cry for redemption. But although God did forgive, and now we read and we can read about David and his life, as it describes David's life and his legacy as the sure mercies of David and his kingship, and that Christ would fulfill that and become an eternal king, and his lineage and his kingdom would reign forever. That's great. That's wonderful. But the problem still remains that the law was limited, that the experience was only, it can only cleanse and allow you to start fresh, but you didn't feel fresh. You didn't feel renewed. You didn't feel like you were vindicated. You didn't feel like it could leave. That's the challenge that you and I don't have. If we believe in a God who gave his life, who sent his son, and by faith we now reach out. But listen, here's the difference. They reached up, God came down, did an outward work, but now God, when we reach up, he reaches down and does an inward work. 
So good, right? Just a new era. Another thing I think about many times is it's not an issue of us forgetting our sin now because, <coughs> excuse me, the feelings that we get with God. Aren't you glad that we have a God who feels like love, that is love, that we're able to feel him? I mean, I want you to think about this, that we are able to interpret that invisible, tangible expression of God. Think about this. Whereas before, it wasn't like that. They couldn't feel that. They didn't feel the love of God, the joy of God. All they knew was they stepped out of line and stepped out of the ordinances that the earth would open up possibly, that there would be judgment, that there would be foreigners that would come in against them if they were in sin. So it all depended on the animal. As long as we get the right animal, then we can stay in right standing with God. It was like that for them. But sometimes, it's not a matter of what we see. Sometimes we forget. That's the other challenge. Sometimes in the church, we can be so blessed, we forget the blesser, right? That's the other thing that, you know, the hard part is already done. But the heart part, it's a matter of us believing And sometimes, even though you have believed, sometimes you can forget. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about with the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15. And you can write this down and read it later because we always talk about the prodigal son. We always talk about um, the son messed up. He went out. And, and, And people relate themselves to that story many times as well. I mean, God's so merciful and God's so loving and God is so welcoming sometimes, you know, when we... When we had, has anybody ever stepped out of what seemed to be God's will, then, then did what you wanted to do, only to find yourself coming back to the house of God and feeling welcomed by Him? Aren't you glad we serve a merciful, gracious God? I mean, we got to be thankful for that. I understand. But sometimes you can be here for so long, you can forget. This is what happened. When the prodigal came back, the son that was there looked at his father. And the older brother, it says, was angry when he had the party because the dad said, go get the fattened calf, go get the ring, get the the robe. And my son that was lost now, he's found, let's have a party. And then it says that the son was so angry, he wouldn't go in. He was having a pity party. And no one went to it. (laughs) He was so mad. I'm not going in there. Spoiled kid. Here, his father came out, begged him. What a good dad. Begged him. But he replied, all these years, I'm still in that scripture. All these years I've slaved for you, never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, You never even gave me a young goat. (laughs) For a feast with my friends. Yet, when a son of yours, notice how he said this, son of yours, didn't call him his brother. 
You ever done that to your kids? Spouse, you ever do that? That's your son over there. Your son made a mess. Your son teacher called us today, got an email from your daughter's son. You know, teacher. He didn't take ownership. He, weren't re- he wasn't related. That's what happens when you get upset with somebody. They ain't my brother. This guy said, your son, he was mad. From squandering your money, he gets back. This is hard right here now. Listen to what he says. Your son gets back after squandering the money on prostitutes. Ouch. Come on now. You celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Now notice, it wasn't any calf. It was a fattened calf. That means that it was a calf set aside for a special occasion. And the dad said, I'm so moved by this moment. My son's coming back. Get the best calf. Get the one we've been preparing, the fattened one. And he said to him, listen to what he said. His father said, look, dear son. So, surprised he didn't say, look, tonto. I'm Tex-Mex. To me, that's not a bad word. Look, guy. Look. You have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. In other words... You forgot what's available to you. You can have your own party. If you feel like celebrating, don't wait on somebody else to do wrong and then do right again. Celebrate on your victories. Celebrate with your friends. You have that liberty. And that's what happens to us and what can happen to us in the church. We can come to church so long and forget that we are actually the sons of God. His family. And then we look around and wonder, how come we're not blessed? How come we don't see this happen? We look at our neighbor, and our neighbor's being blessed, and you kind of, you can if you're carnal, or if you're away and disconnected, you're not paying attention, you, you know, but you're just going through the motions. Coming to church is not what makes you a Christian, right? It's the relationship you have Outside this church, coming to church like this is the assembling together that we're not supposed to forget about coming together and, and, and celebrating in, the, in a corporate way and receiving instruction and following the command that Paul wrote to the church, bring everything to the store, to the church the first day of the week, Monday uh, is the second day, Sunday is the first day. So really, do the Jewish calendar, Saturday is the last day of the week. And so we come to church on the first day of the week, offering our first fruits of our week. And we can keep on doing that religiously. It is easier, and I'm going to make this statement, but it is easier to come and sit in a church than it is to get up in the mornings and pray. It is. It's easier to come to church once a week than it is to walk with him every single day. And if we're not careful, and I don't want to keep beating a dead horse, but the truth is, is that we can find ourselves in a problem and feel like we're away from God 
when he's not away from any of us, we just look at our problems too close and we're not feeling the benefits of being a son. But let me encourage you and tell you, just at the mention of his name, he said he will be there. Just by mentioning the name of Jesus, he will come to you. And if there's one thing that brings proximity in our life, it's one thought. And that's the thought and know that Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice. And there's one thing that keeps us in our minds separate from God is a sin that we have not confessed. And that's the reality. The reality is, is that the only sin we're not forgiven is the one we don't ask for forgiveness for. He paid the price for all sins of the past, present, and the future. But the scripture does say, still, if any have sinned, we need to come to the who? Come. Nobody wants to say it, right? Come to Jesus is what the scripture says. Ask him. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness and forgive us of our sins in 1 John. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the only thing keeping you from God sometimes is the thoughts in your mind. David, see, David had the thoughts of an act he committed, and it was still keeping him from God. He felt so separated from God, like he was by himself. He was isolated. But for you and I, not only are we forgiven by God, we are visited by the grace of God, and we feel refreshed, renewed, inspired, forgiven, loved. Where the mercy of God is, and that's the whole difference. So because of the blood, you have a different walk with him. Point number two, and, I'm, and this is the last point I'm going to give you. Now you're part of a royal bloodline. You're part of a royal bloodline. See, in the book of Hebrews, when you look at this, and the blood is talked about, the blood isn't just shed so we can experience on an outward benefit, but on an inward experience. Now, you see, when Jesus was with the disciples, he told them, I'm with you, but I shall be in you. The writers of the Gospels, one of them put that Jesus was called Emmanuel, God with us. But Jesus made the confession that I shall be in you. John 14 and 15 talks about that through the Spirit, being the comforter, being the advocate, being the true vine. It's a, it's a relational thing. So not only are we covered by the blood, we have the blood. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Listen to what it says. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are not like that, speaking of the people that were lost. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Why? Because it's on the inside. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, that was us. That was you and I. We had no identity as a Gentile. But now you are people, God's people, once you received no mercy. But now you receive God's mercy. That's good news. That clears it up for me. So here's what I get from that. 
You may not have been born with it the first time, but you can be born again with it the second time. You understand what I'm talking about? You see, through your first birth, you inherited your, your earthly parents' traits. Through the second birth, you inherited your heavenly father's traits through the blood of Jesus, and everything changes. You may feel limitations from your first birth, but your second birth brought a whole new door of opportunity for you to walk into because of the bloodline, the nature of Christ in your life. That's good news. That is good news. Your DNA has now been changed. Your DNA is different. And all it took was Jesus coming into this world. And I say it simply, but the really, it was the hard part. This right here is an example of what I'm talking about. This horse, his name is Galileo. Galileo is a thoroughbred. If you want to breed Galileo, be part of the process, you have to pay a stud fee of $600,000. You'd like to know why? Because of his bloodline. His bloodline, he comes from a line of champions. This, this horse... This horse makes tens of millions of dollars every year. Galileo was a champion. His father was a champion. His father's name was Sadler's Wells. He had won many, many championships. And his mother won many championships. And he came from good blood. And when he was sired and he was hired out the intent was to breed him again and for people to pay a fee out of this one horse over 300 champions have won races around the world this horse when they looked at the horse there are horses that go centuries back there are actual horses that have bloodlines that go centuries back into wars that are passed down. And to get a horse, you have to pay a big lump sum to become part of that kind of bloodline. I mean, we're talking about prestigious. We're talking about priceless in the eyes of some people. Because the bloodline matters. But what you and I need to gather today is this. Is that when Jesus came into this world, the blood that he had was intermingled with the spirit from heaven. That's what made his blood so precious. The blood speaks. And I don't want to go too far into this because then people are going to get weirded out about it. But did you know that even when Cain killed Abel, that the blood, the Bible says that God heard his blood cry out. Did you, how many of you have ever read that before? 
But have you ever read now in the New Testament that if the blood of Abel cried out, that cry, how much more would the blood of Jesus cry out better things? When the blood of Jesus was shed, it, what, what was in the blood cried out, the price has been paid. The redemption for my people has been established. And everything, if you want to know what you've got on the inside, what we really need today are people that have an understanding of their bloodline. If you understand your bloodline, you know what you're capable of doing and what your family heritage really is. When you are born again, when you have Jesus in your life, we're talking about royalty. We're talking about a thoroughbred, not just a thoroughbred, hybrid. Something that's earthly and something that's out of this world brought together. You see, when you recognize who you are, you'll recognize that the potential you have is the same potential that Jesus had. You see, there wasn't a sickness that Jesus couldn't heal. There wasn't a disease that Jesus couldn't fix. There wasn't a problem that he couldn't solve. There wasn't a crowd of people that he couldn't feed. There wasn't a, a, a body of water he couldn't walk on. There wasn't an ounce of water he couldn't turn to wine. There wasn't a devil he couldn't defeat. And that means because it happened to him, you have the potential of doing greater works in your life. I don't know about you, but when I was out in the world, before God saved me, I was responsive to crazy things when it didn't even make sense. I was responsive to football fields, games, touchdowns, three-pointers for the sake of winning. I, I just, I feel a conviction when I come into church and I can't, res and if I can't respond, and if I can't respond to Jesus and what he's done for me, every time I have been forgiven by God, it's a score for heaven. Every time that I've been redeemed from a fault, and we all have faults, don't sit there like you don't have faults, because some of us really need to be responding right now and say, thank you for the blood, because you wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't for the blood. And I'm trying to tell somebody, your arrogance and your pride will knock out the blessings of God in your life, but some of us need to humble ourselves sometimes and Lift up our hands and say, if it wasn't for the blood, I wouldn't even be here right now. If it wasn't for your goodness, I wouldn't even be here right now. If it wasn't for the mercy of God, I should be in prison, but I'm in the house of God right now. And I feel conviction sometimes when I step in here and I act like it's just a solemn, holy little place where I can't even break a sweat. But you got to break a sweat sometimes when you know how good God is and how good he's been to us and how good the blood of Jesus is in our life. I'm trying to tell you, you have something to celebrate. Don't wait on somebody else to be blessed. You are blessed yourself and you have everything available to you to walk in the newness of God and the blessings of God. I just got to tell you, I just got to be honest with you and tell you, it irks me sometimes when people just kind of just does we're not that kind of church 
We want a church where people know who they are. People know where they came from, what the blood of Jesus has done in their life. And I think our God demands, and I think he is due our response and worship. Do I have, a, do I have any people that know that he deserves all the glory and all the honor? Because you know your bloodline, and you know who you are, and you know it doesn't matter how, what your past was. All that matters is now you've got a future. You've got good blood in your veins. The closing thought for today is this. You're more than the bride. You're his blood. I, I, I want to close with this. I, I want to say this. Before you start playing, Haley, I want to I say this real quickly. You see, I know who I am now. I didn't know who I was before. Before I took pride in my family lineage, I come from a, from a, from a line of good business people. My dad was a great entrepreneur. My dad was a millionaire. My dad grew up doing business, had a multitude of businesses from real estate to market and convention centers to jewelry stores to you name it. My dad was an entrepreneur. And all of my family, most of my brothers, they don't work for anybody. They own their own businesses as well. It just runs in my blood. And so naturally, when my kids were born, they had that same trait. But God wouldn't allow us to go out there and do the same thing that my dad did. God put all of that and reserved it for the church. Now we do it for God. And that's what changes. Because the blood from Jesus will alter your purpose. It will alter your purpose. What you did for yourself in the past, now you're doing it for the glory of God. And I got to tell you, with my kids, I'm picky. And I'm very protective of my daughters. Very protective. And I can pick up right away when there's something not right. And I can pick up right away when someone's interested. It's funny, but I can't. I don't say something sometimes. Sometimes I just stay and keep my mouth shut. But the reason why I'm very particular is because I've raised some hybrids. I have. And if somebody wants to join the bloodline, I have to first check out their bloodline. I have to find out first, do they have the blood of Jesus in their life? It's funny. But that's how picky I am. And parents, and for whoever's watching, it's all right. Be picky. Be picky. It's funny, my son Caleb. My son Caleb. Uh, all of my kids... My wife and I had prayed for my kids, their spouses, when they were little. I mean, when they were, I mean, like, little, little. We have always prayed for their spouses before they even knew, even thought about marriage. And so we're, we're thankful that my daughter's last name is Slavic right now. We're so thankful for that. Caleb Slavic is such a great young man, great pastor. But he grew up loving God, worshiping God. He comes from a good bloodline. What's funny is the next in line was Caleb. Come here, Caleb. I know. I'm going to use this. This is, this is my sermon, really my sermon illustration. He's a good-looking guy, right? I know. I hate standing next to him. So stand over there. 
but he, I can feel it. He was, man, I want a girlfriend. Man, I want, I want a, another person in my life. Then all of a sudden, come on, Brooklyn. Watch this. Just watch this. Watch this. Okay, don't leave some room for Jesus. <laughs> then all of a sudden, so Caleb is like, Lord, who is it? Can I, is that all right, son? Praying for, I told Caleb, here's what you do, son. I told him what to pray for. I taught them how to pray for their spouses. I taught them to be picky. And I taught them how to trust God and God will bring them. What's funny is, it wasn't long, Brooklyn comes in with her family. It wasn't long, I knew God spoke to me and said, that's the one. I knew as a father, but it wasn't my business to try to, I mean, I'm not like the matchmaker, right? I mean, I tried a little bit of things, but it was up to God. She said when he met, she met him, that she thought he was married how he presented himself. Very pure, very respectful. She thought he was married already and didn't have an interest. Then all of a sudden we have this internship program and she joins it. She's the only adult in it with two other little kids. But she's engaged because he's teaching it. But there was one thing that restricted him because he started to find interest. He wanted to know, has she been born again? Come to find out, they were talking, but he never showed interest. And she was talking about how she wanted more of God. So they were still kind of, you know. Now, what happened was, she wanted more of God, so she got plugged in. I gave her a Bible study. I taught her about being baptized in the Spirit and what it was and gave an understanding. See, it's not weird when you know how to teach it. And what Paul was trying to write to the Hebrew children was there's a spiritual experience and it's something new, but you need to embrace it. Well, we do the same thing, but we teach it from a biblical perspective on New Testament now as well. And so I went through and I one day taught Brooklyn a Bible study in that legacy room. And that day after I taught her that study, right afterwards we prayed and she got baptized in the Spirit and was speaking in tongues. Now, if you don't believe that speaking in tongues is in the Scripture, go study it. It's in the Bible. If you want to learn about it, come to me after church and I will teach you. Don't knock it until you tried it. Or to the Holy Ghost does it through you. You know what the funny part is? I told him about it the same day he asked her out. <laughs> oh, I didn't waste any time. He said, Daddy, that's all I was waiting for. And he said, the moment it happened, I asked her out. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you, boy. Go ahead. That's what I'm talking about. Hybrids being raised, the bloodline, it does matter. If you're a husband and wife, it does matter for you both to be in sync with God. It does matter. It does matter not to be unequally yoked. You know, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit works versus 
voodoo and witchcraft. We're in, we're in, we're in, in October right now. And there, I'm gonna, don't mean to get off the subject, but it is there. Witches and warlocks are fasting and praying to Satan right now, and the church needs to step up their game in that area. But this is why most people have spiritual warfare problems in the house, because the house is divided. But once the house is united and the house stands together for Jesus, there is protection all over your house, all over your family, all over your marriage, all over your relationships. But you've got to be in Christ. That's why we water baptize. That's why we give moments in church for people to give their life to Jesus, to get saved. That's why we, we offer and teach a born-again experience. According to John chapter 3, being born again of the water and of the Spirit, there's something more to this. There's something way more. Jesus intended us to have his blood, not just to cover us from protection, how we pray and we do church jargon and use phrases that most people don't understand when we say, we're covering by the blood, I'm covered by the blood. Well, you know, scripturally, it really really says and states that the blood of Jesus is inside of us through a born-again experience and we are covered by the blood upon the approach of Calvary and we are forgiven, but Jesus wants us to be born again to the birth canal of the church through the bride of Christ, through born-again experience and I'm telling all of you that are here you are somebody in God and we just need to remember who he is and what he's done here's the weekly challenge for you this week we challenge you we give a weekly challenge the weekly challenge is this we want you to take communion as a family we want you to go home and and you can find the bread they sell it they sell it unleavened bread at HEB now you can buy it in the in the world grocery section, whatever it's called, get crackers, get grape juice. Not to, to do any disrespect, but it's very simple. And do what the scripture says. We take communion in church as well, by the way. But take communion as a family, and, and remember what Jesus did. That's the challenge this week. To do it as a family. Remember what He did, and if you can remember what He did. You're going to be renewed in your faith, and you're going to get the confidence that you need. How many of you are confident in him here this Sunday morning, and you know who you are? Come on, let's celebrate together. Will you stand to your feet? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.